I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. And if you've just joined us because you heard Anna Namina's lovely recommendation on the Call Your Girlfriend podcast, an extra special welcome to you. Yes, hello. We've got lots of American people listening to the show, which is really, really lovely. So thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, thanks so much to Anna Namina, who we love with all our hearts. One of the people who's got in touch since last week is another Anne. Not Anne Friedman. Not Anne Friedman, different Anne, who, among other things, asked us whether we could recommend any other podcasts that are made by and feature women because if you've gone looking for that kind of thing you will know that there aren't that many you've got a list haven't you caroline of good I've, lady podcasts i do it's it's a it's a hobby of mine i collect <laughs> them i in fact i did this last week on the newsletter i run and the links in my twitter bio if anyone's interested but i thought we'd shout out to a few particular shout out to the berlinials podcast of uh, sarah marissa and sarah who got in touch with us to tell us all about how they record in berlin where they what is it they they make some dinner they get some wine they put the microphones up and off they go yeah um, which sounds ideal i really think ideal. there should be more wine involved in our work-based podcast yeah that's true <laughs> i mean just to set the scene for you slightly just so you know how we do it it's currently 8 a.m in the morning we're sitting in a basement that smells slightly of sewage <laughs> yeah. um we're sh- know why but we're okay. sharing a bottle of diet coke and i'm really tired <laughs> <laughs> and sweating yeah so your sounds like a lot more idyllic sarah so, marissa and sarah so definitely check that out other podcasts made by women that i really like the illusionist by helen zaltzman that's all about language and speech and sort of how words get used on the internet it's really interesting isn't it and it's really good for like seeming like you're smart at a dinner party totally and she also is really good at having totally fascinating guests on like my favorite episode she's done so far is the one where she interviewed the woman who invented jenga Oh my god, I haven't heard that one. That sounds yeah, brilliant. Yeah, this woman's amazing. She invented Jenga and also loads of other like cool word-based games like Ex Libris and a whole load of other stuff. Um, awesome. Which is very good. And another one I really like is Criminal, which is, I suppose, part of this post-serial podcast movement of true crime stuff. 
I believe they're from North Dakota or North Carolina, basically somewhere that you don't often hear hmm. from in in Britain. You know, you you most of your podcasts will be LA or New York based, mm-hmm. like most media things. And it's a true crime thing, but they do lots of kind of historical stuff as well as modern day stuff. There's a particularly good episode where they investigate why people are stealing Venus flytraps. Oh, wow. That's a real thing. Yeah, from a national park or something where they grow naturally. Was it a profit-based crime? Yeah, or? yeah people, people steal them to sell. Like, wow. Because, you know, they're a kind of curiosity that people want to have as a houseplant. Yeah. And I guess they're really hard to, like, breed in captivity or something. That's so, so funny. the presenter, Phoebe Judge, goes out with one of the, like, rangers who protects the Venus flytraps. <laughs> it's really cool. Anyway, so yeah, th- those are a couple of really great shows. There are plenty more. We'll do our best to point to them whenever we can. Yeah, feel free to point us to them mm. also. You're always so good at getting in touch with little recommendations and things. Another lady podcaster we've got coming on to the show next week is our dear friend Elizabeth Minkle. Yeah, so she does the Fansplaining podcast with her co-host Flourish. And we're having a bit of a kind of podcasty exchange with them. So Elizabeth's coming on seriously next week and we're also going to be on their next episode of Fansplaining. So watch out for that. Uh, we're also working on some other specials, so... You should be excited. We've got our Christmas special coming up and something else for you between Christmas and New Year. It's Uh, very exciting. It's really exciting. (laughs) We're not going to say what it is yet because we want to try and, you know, do tension and stuff. But let's just say that I had a lot of people in my living room yesterday afternoon (laughs) and uh, and some stuff happened. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) That sounded a lot worse than I meant. I didn't mean that. Okay, everyone came round. I made food. It was really nice. (laughs) And there was wine and it was lovely. But it does mean that we're podcasting like crazy this week. So on to this one. Yes, onwards. (laughs) Uh, So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Victor Frankenstein, the blockbuster movie of the story. Frankenstein. <laughs> is it a blockbuster though? Oh, well, it's kind of blockbustery in style, isn't it? Yeah, they but clearly want it to I don't think be. it will actually bust any blocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I'm, I'm going to email Helen and ask her what, how the word blockbuster yes. came to be. Oh, we should. Um, anyway, yeah, so Victor Frankenstein starring James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe and based pretty loosely on the book by yeah, Mary Shelley. I, I need a refresher of the book. I I think I read it in school, but I like don't really remember what goes on. But I I seem to know instinctively that the film was not sticking to the original story. Definitely not. I read it maybe three or reread it maybe three or four years ago when Danny Boyle's Frankenstein play was at the National Theatre, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller. Um, and they swapped roles, didn't they? So yeah, so they took it in turns each night. In. One of them played Frankenstein, one of them played the monster, and they kept mm-hmm. swapping around. And Would they... have been a very small role, the role of Frankenstein's monster in this version of the film. <laughs> well, it doesn't really exist, does it? Yeah. So the so the premise of this take on the story is that McAvoy plays Victor Frankenstein, a in that sense a not particularly changed character from the original, a medical student with ideas about creating life from death. Mm-hmm. Igor, you and I shall be at the very heart of a scientific enterprise that will change the world. We shall create a life out of death. It's alive. Do you realise how significant this is? Oh, I have an inkling. Although in London, not in... I think it's in Switzerland, the original story, but I can't remember. The total departure then comes in Daniel Radcliffe's character, who starts out as a kind of hunchback clown type person at a local circus, and then is sort of rescued by McAvoy 
you know his deformity turns out to be not permanent um yeah the most actiony moment of draining a cyst ever seen on <laughs> yeah on screen and he just has to wear a back brace for a while to train his muscles to stand basically upright. james mcavoy quote unquote fixes him by like just shoving a, a draining injection-y thing into his cyst and like then like shoving him against the wall a few times. Yeah, that's... And then he like has no other problems with his back for the entire rest of the film. Yeah, and actually I thought... Because to start with, he's still walking really badly, as you would. For five minutes. But then, so, and then the next scene, he's like dressed in a nice suit, like walking down the roads totally straight. And you're like, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no. Months also, of physiotherapy. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> also, Frankenstein doesn't like ask his permission. He might be like quite happy the way he is, but he's like, no, I'll fix you. That's what you need. Fixing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're broken. Let's fix you. So after he's done that, Daniel Radcliffe becomes his sort of roommate and assistant because he's also a, an avid student of anatomy and a sort of amateur physician. Mm. Um, and happily adopts the name Igor. And he's like, I used to have a servant called Igor. You're now Igor. And he's like, okay, I won't question that. Cool. Yeah, so he becomes Igor and together they vivify a lot of internal organs. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe sort of goes straight in with the like, face of childlike wonder at like being able to have books and stuff because basically the backstory of the character is that while he was in the circus he was like the circus doctor and frankenstein discovers him because he like sees him doing an operation without any equipment uh and so when he gets like proper academic books and like the chance to actually practice all this stuff he sort of learned out of you know fear and shame in the corner of the circus he's really really excited and i will say a positive point about this film is that Daniel Radcliffe is excellent at acting like enthusiasm and like yes. gullibility as well like he's really good at that sort of like naivety which is probably why he was picked for that like Harry young Harry Potter role but and he's still really good at it you believe yeah. it when he's like all excited by the books and he's definitely still got that face that Harry used to do when someone did some magic I know and it's it, that's, yeah that was really pleasing his best face in the whole film by the way it's side point is there's a moment where um Eagle gets some and then he like mm. walks home the next day and oh, he like that's great. <laughs> a real like smug like yeah boned last night Weird, weirdest walk of shame yeah it ever. was walk of victory walk of victory though yeah, yeah. walk of triumph <laughs> That um, was great. But yeah, actually, that's a good point to mention. Eagle's lady friend is Lady Sybil from Downton Abbey. Yeah, Jessica Brown Finley. The other principal character is Moriarty from Sherlock. Yes. It, amazing. And also, um, Mycroft is in it for a second. Yes. Just like, doesn't he, have any he must lines. Have been, he must he have must... had a cut part. Yeah, because right? in the final edit, he has no lines and then he dies. Yeah, you don't um, bring like Mycroft in just to like stand there in a moustache, do you? Uh, well, there is a possibility. I just would say there's a possibility that Mark Gattis really wanted to be in the film. Yeah, maybe. So they just let him. I think I'd been watching the film for an hour and a half and like the monster still hadn't been made. And I was like, this is going to be a really long film if they still haven't. Yeah, but that made all happens quite quickly, doesn't yeah. it? So the first sort of monster that they make is like a kind of hybrid chimpanzee awful thing that they bring to life on the table of the sort of exhibition room in the Royal College of Surgeons. Yeah, for me this was the only scary part yeah. in the film, which is that, yeah, they made a sort of rotting monkey. And also that's when we are introduced to um Freddie Fox, who I have to <laughs> absolutely shout out to, because I am, as people who listen to the podcast regularly might know, a huge fan of, like, Lewis and, like, other 
daytime murder mysteries on ITV. (laughs) (laughs) And Freddie Fox appeared in an episode of Lewis that I absolutely adored, which was set in a student paper. And I was like working on the student paper. And obviously Lewis is set in Oxford and I went to Oxford. I loved that. And Freddie Fox was like some kid, like reading Shakespeare and like (laughs) doing murders in his spare time. Then we started seeing Freddie Fox pop up everywhere and we'd always be like, oh my God, it's evil Sam from Lewis. (laughs) And like, he's actually making quite a career out of like being an evil posh boy. Yeah, so that's exactly what he is in this. He he's the kind of evil posh boy who funds Frankenstein's wacky research with electricity. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> so that's basically the plot. And then, but there's like a lot more like infighting between people and like attempted murders because by this point Frankenstein is like an outlaw. So Moriarty, he's not actually Moriarty. <laughs> I, I, can't, well, I can't remember what his name is. He's the police yeah so he's the he's the the police officer who's he's very moral and he's very sort of victorian and he believes that it's against god and nature to you know bring dead things back to life and he's also grieving everyone's grieving everyone's grieving in this film his wife died and but also i have to say i know we were supposed to be like no frankenstein you go i was like no no, don't do this. No, I don't think, I don't think we, I was very like Frankenstein. Go, you go, you go Frankenstein. I don't know, (laughs) I think, I just got the sense we were supposed to feel caught up in his enthusiasm. I think, I think you you privilege whatever Dan Rad wants in this film. Yeah. Like your eyes and ears and your moral compass is Igor. Yeah. Who, you know, abandons the project because he's like, it's gone too far. We created a weird monkey. (laughs) Can't you see that? Uh, And then uh, abandons the project. But, can tell that Frankenstein is like doing all this shit because he can't cope with his the loss of his there's like basically they introduce a backstory about the fact that his brother died when he was young and this is he's like I killed my brother now I must create life to re mm. which I thought was unconvincing very unconvincing I would have loved it it's basically there's a scene where Daniel Radcliffe is like this is why right your brother I have his pocket watch this is why and he's like no that's not why and he's like Oh, really? What is it then? And in that moment, I would have loved it if he'd been like, I'm really jealous of my brother because now he's dead. He's like super famous. So mm. I need to be super famous. And like yeah. that, I would have bought that more because he seems obsessed with the idea about people knowing his name. Yeah. And in, in that very sort of circle jerky, like, oh, let's like say the main character's name a lot in this film and then everything will seem like more like legendary and amazing. That sort of like Frankenstein, eh? Frankenstein, go and see the movie Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a bit like that. Also, the way it ends is quite like that as well yeah um, in the book okay excuse my ignorance in the book does frank um spoilers spoiler alert if you're going to go see this film i can't say i like hugely encourage you to but if you're <laughs> going to stop listening for three seconds um in the does does it end the book with like frankenstein like just escaping into the scottish highlands forever no it doesn't because <laughs> that's so weird he's just there with like his pack no, like well, I can't quite remember, tranquil i can't remember exactly but part of the sort of innovative genius of the novel Frankenstein is that it's all told kind of indirectly like it's all told through like a letter from a man leading a polar expedition who meets the monster at the North Pole and then writes this letter back to someone and you are reading his letter Mm. so it's always the whole point about it is you're always at like one remove from Mm. the thing you want which is a metaphor so no it doesn't work like that at all we should actually talk about what we thought about it instead of just like picking at holes in the plot well i thought it was really silly yeah it was and it was a bit like so they open very consciously with like you know this story yeah and i mean maybe this is something they picked up from the book from what you've just said but then they like take ages and ages and ages to get to the bit of the story that you know and they like keep delaying it keep delaying it and then like when it actually happens it's quite brief and fairly 
anticlimactic. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of explosions and a lot of death and stuff, and it's very actiony, but it's not. It isn't the story that you know. That but, I guess intentionally. No, but actually, I thought the bits when it was at its best were the bits when it was furthest away from the original story. Yeah. So, like the bits at the circus. Yeah, and, I enjoyed this. And the policeman character and stuff that just isn't in the book at all. It was when it was trying to do familiar plot points mm. that it sort of didn't measure up. Mm. And and another point which it was quite good was when it played with your knowledge of the plot points and of the kind of the afterlife of the Mary Shelley yeah. novel. So like the bit when they're they're first sketching out the design for the the like big scary man they're gonna make on the floor. Mm. And Daniel Radcliffe's character says to James McAvoy's character is like, why is his head flat? His head doesn't need to be flat. Yeah. He's like, and Franken's like, like it. Because I like flat heads, okay? <laughs> um and obviously that's a reference to the subsequent like hammer horror Frankenstein's yeah. where he always has this like crew cut and a flat head for no reason. Yeah. So that kind of thing I did really like. But the I don't know, I just did not feel in peril enough. Yeah, it's not very scary, um, is it? It's not very scary. It's quite ridiculous. I thought it had some like very traceable influences. Mm. So the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock films so much were so, a big but, influence. But they're better. Yeah. Yeah. But the way funny. it's cut and stuff. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. much humour in this actually. The style of the shots and stuff. I also thought it was an incredibly like televisual film. Mm. So this might in part be because of the casting, but I was reminded of Sherlock quite a lot. For example, yeah. they do a lot of like overlaying of like anatomical drawings and architectural drawings onto like what you're looking at for like brief seconds. Mm. So you get like fig one underneath like some sort of brain and like some drawings on it and things like that. Or like when they go to Freddie Fox's castle, there's like flashes of like the architecture yeah. of what they're doing for the project come on top because they like try and turn the castle into a big like electrical conductor. Also, have you ever seen Ripper Street? With Matthew McFadden. No, I haven't. Which is, like, very like this in so many ways. Again, like, this very steampunky aesthetic. Lots of, like, shots of, like, knives flying through the air, like, going slow-mo and then, like, really, really fast. Again, that's quite, like, the Robert Downey Jr. Mm. Sherlock's and stuff. And, yeah, the the sort of CGI-y old London, but with, like, yeah, weird speeds of shots. And basically they do a couple of times, they're, they're like... And what's your name, sir? And instead of him saying Frankenstein, he like, d- James McAvoy does like a little sneaky smile. And then like the camera like speeds up massively into his face. And there's all this other stuff comes in like, mm. and it says Victor Frankenstein in big letters. And then that whole shot like reverses. And that that's exactly the kind of thing they do in like Ripper Street. And like mm. the, the titles are very like dynamic. And all, yeah, basically all the dynamism of it, I thought, was very televisual. The person I went to see it with also said that they, it was reminded them of all the, like, early noughties steampunky films like Van Helsing. and like, Very much so. Yeah. Actually, that that's what I was trying, Van Helsing was the one I was trying to think of. Mm. Is that, that is the one with, like, Sean Connery in it, right? I haven't seen it, I don't know. Yeah, there's, oh, there's one, it's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that's the one I'm thinking of. Oh, uh, right. Exactly the same fake London, fake 19th century yeah. London, where there are certain supernatural elements that are just part of everyday life that's Mm. the modification Um, i thought i thought in this film they could have done more interesting things with like death i feel like i know obviously i'm gonna make this comparison because of dan rad but i feel like harry potter deals with like what you want from death or Mm. like why you want to avoid death and like what you'd actually not gain from that much better than this film did because all they did like was sort of say like my wife died my brother died so i'm struggling with that there was no real like actually 
death kind of needs to happen there was just the like yeah. one guy being like but when we both die we'll be in heaven together and someone else being like well i don't believe in god so yeah yeah you're right i also feel like further to that charles doves who plays um, oh yeah he comes Frank- in <laughs> frankenstein's father i his part must have been massively massively cut down as he well. kind of comes in smacks only- his son around the face and then leaves he's only in one scene and i feel like if he'd been in it more you could have built up that idea of yeah. like parental grief and sort of fraternal grief and yeah that could have been far more interesting but it was also very cliche in that it was like why couldn't be more you be more like your brother the dead one yeah and then like that was it you just got that for like a split second yeah. um so i think could have been done better but i also would have to say props to them for like veering away from the original story quite a lot yeah. because those were the best bits and and tr- yeah and exactly so in fact if there'd been more of that it would be a better film and i um, love you dan rad yeah love we love so dan radcliffe <laughs> um he is really good as is james mackerel is pretty good as well he does um, feel a bit like he's come from another film though doesn't he yes. he's so over the top crazy in it that you can it was almost like shakespearean theatrical like you could imagine he he seems slightly out of place yeah I think it's probably a good film to go and see if, like me, you're kind of struggling with December and finding it (laughs) cold and difficult and your brain just doesn't seem to be working as well as it normally does. Also, maybe if you're going on a date and you want to be funny and then afterwards you can be like, lol, this film was like so weird in these ways. It would be a really good date film because there are lots of things to talk about. Yeah, you could definitely like pick it apart afterwards Mm. in quite an amusing way. But it wasn't all bad. And yeah, try it out. My monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match It got on in a flash He did the match So next we're going to talk about Parks and Rec And I kind of want to just be like As my way of introducing that But I won't, but I did yeah, so Parks and Recreation, the American sitcom that stars Amy Poehler and I don't know, I feel like, I mean, it's finished now, isn't it? Yeah. It finished yeah, quite I recently, think so. but it ran for five, six years. Yeah, it was seven seasons, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's, I don't want to use the word cult following because I feel like that's... It's too mainstream That's for too that, mainstream, it? but it definitely has the vibe of something that people like to think it's a cult thing even though it is now mainstream yeah that makes sense yeah. if you I, basically if you, I'm, I'm sure we're not introducing anyone to parks and rec <laughs> put it that way if you don't know it's set or at least initially it's set in the parks and recreation department of a like a small town yeah, government. it's called pawnee i assume it's the fictional town of pawnee yeah because of all the jokes they make about pawnee constantly it's a kind of like civil service department where they're responsible for like parks and leisure leisure and stuff like that it's something that I'd been told repeatedly over the course of years that I would really like. Yeah, same. Because I am a massive fan of 30 Rock and The American Office and all things that the creators have explicitly said in, influenced and informed what they did with Parks and Rec. I also think it's part of people being a bit like, you like funny ladies. Yeah, there is that, which slightly it's like, knocks me, well, actually. Like, yeah, I just like funny people. I like funny people. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so I had sort of resisted watching it for ages because of that reason. Then 
thanks to some rather vociferous recommendations from podcast listeners who said that we just should get over it and watch it mm. i gave it a go i'd also heard that the first series was not great and yeah. then it sort of gets better and i do agree with that having now watched the first series and most of the second i think they made some modifications after the first series as well you've, you've watched more than me then because i've watched the first series and like maybe three episodes of mm. the second one and i agree that i'm already finding the second series much more like fun and also i'm just much more like into the storylines yeah, it does loosen up a bit doesn't yeah. it that's because that's the first few episodes of the first series kind of stressed me out because it's quite uptight and the comedy is not easy it's quite farcical in yeah. the first series and although that that element obviously remains because the jokes most of the time are like that the parks and rec department aren't doing brilliantly um there's uh, there's just a lot more like side plots and like you're right it loosens up i think also the supporting cast are so great and actually they're not although they're in a lot of scenes they're not actually doing very much yeah. in the first season yeah. and actually like already i've had a lot more of like aziz ansari in the second series and yes like, that's great because he's really funny he's really funny yeah and you're right the supporting cast is great i don't know his name but the guy who plays ron swanson yeah, I don't know his um, name either. We I mean, his name. <laughs> he's, he's excellent as well. Lots um, of research. And of course, Amy Poehler is really good. Yeah, and her character is actually a lot more interesting than I thought. Because I was just like, oh, it's Amy Poehler playing like that sort of, I thought it was going to be head bitch in charge kind of character. Mm. And actually, obviously, the best thing about the character is that she's very sweet and like very naive and like struggling quite a lot. And like, like she's very relatable in that way. Yeah, and very, very well-meaning and yeah. wants the best for everyone. But... Yeah, and she just like sits there like eating whipped cream and like pouring, I don't know, I just all those like childlike elements of her. Where she's just like pouring sugar into an already really, really sugary drink. <laughs> like, oh, I really like you. You're so adorable. There's some secret ingredient in these Nutri-Yum bars that make me feel so good. Sugar. It's a block of sugar. Yeah, she is, she's adorable. Leslie Nope, her character's name is. So I think actually what the part that I didn't like was the kind of politics element of it. The fact mm. that they do work for a political administration and obviously that is an important part of the show. That, I don't know, that just didn't really work for me. Yeah, it bored you. Kind of bored me and kind of kept getting in, like every time they, something interesting was happening, they'd go and like, do a scene where they were having a public meeting and it's like, oh, <laughs> bored of this. Yeah, fair. I, I mean, I also think, I, yeah, some of the best plot lines are the ones that aren't set in government. So yeah. like Anne, the nurse, obviously, who's, who's played by Rashida Jones, is like one of the characters who you really want to keep getting back, come mm -hmm. back to her storyline and her whole, like, you know, the boyfriend, on-off boyfriend, Andy, played by Chris Pratt and Mark exits the series, I hear. Oh, does he? Which okay. I would be excited for, because, like, he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments where I do, like, really, really laugh. Um, but I probably agree with you that they're not always, like, the political ones. Like, I quite enjoyed the episode where she goes, her mum, like, sets her up on a date with this, like, really old guy, and she doesn't even realise it's a date, and then he, she brings him to the rock concert. And, uh, like, that made me laugh a lot. All of Aziz Ansari's lines make me laugh yeah. a lot. He's a lot more of a like laugh out loud character than in Master of None. And his like complete silliness really gets me going. I really liked the, the one where he like was caught by Louis C.K. playing a policeman, breaking into his own van yeah. and like <laughs> just generally doing like weird shit. And there were like cameras and like sweets in there and like. When when the when the policeman was like, "What is going on here?" It's like, "What is it a crime parking while Indian?" And he's like, 
there's no Indian parking stereotype involved here, <laughs> which is really good. I also love um, Chris Pratt as Andy. I really love it. I just, basically he plays Anne's sort of like layabout boyfriend who's like just awful. Just like awful. Yeah, just he like can't awful. do anything. Yeah. But at the same time, he, he again is another character who like can't seem to like function properly, but it's like really well meaning. And I just something about him, although he's like selfish and awful in lots of ways, I just really, really adore him and like find him really funny. So there's, there's a scene at this rock concert where he knows that she's going to try and break up with him, but he doesn't know why. And he just knows that she's really mad and he's like, I'm just not going to leave this bar. Yeah. <laughs> like every time she comes over, he like tries to make an excuse about how he's like, oh yeah, sorry, I've just got to like unpack this equipment or like, oh yeah, I was just introducing the band to like, oh, we're just having a debrief. And like, he's really good at that, like guilty, like anyway, <laughs> I just, I love him. I think he's really, really great in it. Yeah. You feel like if he put half the effort he puts into avoiding stuff, into actually doing stuff, he I would know. be a really functional human. I know. And then he like becomes really fit and gets a main role in Jurassic Park. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. works out for Andy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> While I was on holiday last month, I listened to the audiobook of Amy Poehler's Yes, Please. Oh, is it in good? Which I would definitely recommend the audiobook as opposed to the book mm. because the book is a bit variable. Mm. It definitely has the vibe of something that her agent was like so a publisher's offered you loads of money to mm. write a book could you you know do that in between bringing up your children and make and working full-time and she was like okay so a lot of the book is about how hard it is to write a book in the middle of the night when you've got a full-time job and two children <laughs> <laughs> but, there, but the audiobook has got lots of like patrick stewart's on it and like it's, she's just got loads of like guest performers helping her do it so oh, actually, that's really fun it's more enjoyable i think than it would be to read it just in a book there's a whole section about parks and recreation and about particularly about the kind of community of the people who worked on it oh that sounds fun and that i think disposed me really well towards the show even before I'd watched very much mm. of it is just hearing her talk about partly about yeah the kind of the friends she made doing it and and how kind of collegiate they all were but also stuff about the process and how they came to it how they actually apparently they originally they wanted it to be more like the British office uh, yeah that's uh, it doesn't surprise me yeah it's just like the office US where the first season like falls flat because they try and do the really sardonic really yeah. like grim humor and i feel like the warmth is lost like mm. the the office uk works because you love the characters so much even when they're being like truly awful you're still like there's there's some humanity there mm. which i don't think the americans managed to do as well yeah and actually the parks and rec like the american office gets better when it stops trying to do that and just goes and plays a bit and it's more silly but there's some quite interesting stuff in the book about like the kind of single camera format that they chose to use and the kind of meta docudrama yeah, element it's to it definitely shot yeah. in that style isn't um, it so that that was quite interesting and that definitely made me appreciate it a bit more because i i do feel like i i don't love it like mm. it's okay but yeah. i don't love it it's not clicking with you i think not, i might yeah. commit to it and then it might click with me and mm. i might really enjoy it because like the office us i probably watched like two seasons before i actually cared because mm. my boyfriend loved it so much and i was like i'll watch it with you and now i like love it and i will like rewatch any episode and it will bring me like deep joy yeah actually I, I guess i'm finding this to be a bit of a downside of 
doing this podcast. There aren't many, I would say. Like most of them are one hundred percent upside. <laughs> there's not time. But there's just not time for that anymore. To commit to there's one not thing. time to commit yeah. to something that I'm not clicking with because yeah, there's no. like I'm And why should a... you? Why should you yeah. have to like get through it's like you shouldn't have to go through months of a bad relationship to make it good with a person, so why do it with a Yeah, TV so show? you know, I I I'm already on to like whatever we're doing next week. I don't <laughs> my yeah. watching time Fair. is yeah. Yeah, I mean I think I'll probably stick with it a bit longer. And I am enjoying all the subplots and stuff. Mm. But yeah, I think good for you, Caroline, for even when everyone's like, Caroline, you'll love this. For being like, you know what? There are other things I like more. Yeah, this is the problem is that I have to say, every time I watched one, I was like, I could be rewatching an episode of 30 Rock right now. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm really excited for this one. <laughs> Last week, I recommended Caroline, the BBC4 series called Detectorists, starring Toby Jones and Mackenzie Crook as two metal detectorists in the English countryside looking for treasure. Caroline, thoughts? I think this is the best thing I've watched this year. Oh, I'm so I think pleased. It, possibly, like, in the last five years. It is. I think it's the best thing. Is it still on? T- I was going to say on TV at the moment, but I guess it just it's finished. It's just finished, I yeah. think. Season two has just finished. Mm. In the in the way of British television, there were only six episodes in a series. Mm. And there have now been six, and that is it. I really, really hope they're going to make more. There is so much more mileage in the characters yeah. in the storyline. But even if they don't, it just exists as like a shining example of what good television can be. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. I'm a bit behind compared to you. I've watched all of the first series, you've watched none of the first yeah. series, right? And then you've watched all of the second series, whereas I've only watched the first half. Mm. So don't spoil me because I'm really interested. Okay. <laughs> um, but so let's just 
let's just say, for, so for people who haven't been watching it, BBC Four, incidentally, for Americans and those unfamiliar... Yeah, if people don't know what BBC it Four is. It is a little bit odd that something like this is on BBC Four, because BBC Four is like the highbrow channel where they have documentaries about... Polar bears. Polar bears. Trains, steam trains. Steam trains. And sometimes really weird themed weekends where they just show you like a fixed camera on the front of a canal boat for two days. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. At it's... Christmas time this year, they're doing like a sleigh ride. So they sh- they film like seven hours of a sleigh ride and they just scream and they just like set it to nice you know the the sound of like the snow crunching and there's like maybe some bells Mm. and like you can just sit and have it on in the background for seven hours while you do a jigsaw puzzle like that's the old person vibe of bbc4 basically and and they do the occasional wasn't kate's documentary on bbc4 yeah our our, Our, our colleague colleague, kate mossman she makes documentaries about rock and pop music and um her documentaries are on on that channel and it's a it's a, like a strange catch-all thing for as you say for like slightly highbrow weirdos yeah and like all, things like only connect the like smart people quizzes I often that quiz by the way I hate it. <laughs> anyway <laughs> i really like it come from bbc4 because they're like oh you're intelligent watchers basically you know the bbc is like inform educate entertain or whatever this is the the, yeah educatey bit so anyway into that context is detectorist which is so weird a a sort of like lovely gentle sitcom about some nice people who like to go metal detecting in the countryside anything fuck all tell you about the beautiful old battle axe I once found. Yeah, you I married her. her. I've done that one for you before. Sorry to interrupt, but are you metal detectors? This is a metal detector. We are metal detectorists. You're going to discover the Valley of the Kings in Essex. It is, I didn't realise this, it's written and directed by Mackenzie Crook. It doesn't surprise me at all. It's, yeah. It's so perfect. It's very much his vibe. Yeah. Mackenzie Crook, American people might know him from The Office UK, in which he was Gareth. Or from the Pirates of the Caribbean films, yeah, of course, where actually, he's yeah. the pirate with the, with the eye. eye. Also, from me having once seen him in the pub in my village. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that was, that was so <laughs> exciting. Um, Mackenzie Crook of Caroline's local pub fame. Yes, he was on like a motorcycling weekend with some of his friends. I bet he does that. And I bet he detectors. Yeah, I bet he... His... That, that's why he's written it, surely. Yeah. He <laughs> must be into it. So, yeah, he and his friend, he plays the character of Andy. Toby Jones plays Lance. They are best mates who are in in their little village. They're in the kind of metal detecting little society with some other people who also like doing metal detecting. Yeah, it's sort of set in Essex somewhere, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, they each have a kind of area of land that they go out on and look. And they're just long, long shots of lovely countryside with really yeah. relaxing guitar music. Yeah, shout out to Johnny Flynn. Mm. So the score... All those sort of folky bits are Johnny Flynn's music, which I was really into when I was like 15. Same. So like real resurfacing of, yeah, Sussex born (laughs) Johnny Flynn. Um, And yes, you get some lovely shots of the countryside. It just looks so peaceful, them walking around with their detectors. There's this kind of slightly more metaphysical element to it about how you know, they're always looking for something and they never find it. Yeah. Um, But but they're kind of okay with that and... They're not yeah. really doing it. You get the yeah. feeling they're not doing it to actually find it. But there's like an extra bit of tension. I mean, there's not really tension in this, but if the little that there is is because we know that there actually is treasure. Yes. So we've somewhere seen like because a kind in the of title sequence, sequence, yeah, in the title sequence, they 
they show you like some some like golden spoon buried under the ground and they're always really near it when they're searching but they never quite get anywhere near it the humor really comes out of the fact that like they both know that it's a bit geeky what they're doing uh like andy's wife kind of rolls her eyes at it but obviously doesn't really mind all the people in the club are a little bit idiosyncratic and and odd but they're all very lovable aren't they they're very lovable and they're very they're very sort of loving with each other as Mm. well that's the other thing that i really like very supportive also it's so brilliantly written it always every sort of little bit of dialogue you you get two or three laughs and then you think okay the end of the scene is coming and then you get you get basically it carries on for two more exchanges both of which are absolutely hilarious yeah (laughs) and in a less good thing you wouldn't get those last two exchanges but just every scene he pushes it to its absolute potential it's brilliant and there's lots that everything's quite subtly linked Mm. back isn't it so it's one of those things where the joke comes in because like three lines into the dialogue down they're referencing something yeah. like four dial you know four lines earlier like they're, they're it's and, very sort of self-referential of it, so like one of my absolute favorite bits and this is not a spoiler although it is in the last episode is where so andy comes to see his wife's a teacher and she's i think it's a saturday and she's like working at the school fate and the school fate is all victorian so all of the teachers are like dressed up so she's dressed up as like a kind of victorian flower seller and obviously he's not dressed up and he's come to like tell her something urgently so he's standing outside the school and he rings her on his phone being like can you come out i need to talk to you first she's like oh just come in just come in and then he goes i can't i'm in modern day dress everyone would stare at me <laughs> and just that's so funny like that says so much about his characters like he doesn't want to ruin anything for anybody yeah. he do- but also he doesn't want to be humiliated and it's- <laughs> <laughs> so that i just laughed for hours about that yeah it's really exact it's just really gets like me giggling mm. it's just so, so my humor and yeah a lot of the a lot of the laughs as well come from like so we've got andy and lance who are like two best friends who spend an inordinate amount of time together and other people think it's all a bit odd and a bit strange and they also like both find the other one quite odd and strange and they're always like kind of pulling at like yeah. the weirdness of each other so uh, Andy will tease Lance for like being too involved with his ex-wife or having a stupid car or whatever it is that day or a messy house. Lance will pick at Andy for his like general geekiness. Yeah and on top of that I, I think I found the kind of this is going to sound a bit po-faced but the kind of general inclusivity of it really pleased mm. me in the sense that you know um, Andy's a stay-at-home dad although you might think that metal detectoring is just a like a middle-aged white guy hobby actually their club is got plenty of women and non-white people and all kinds of people in it which is just just really nice they don't make an issue of it but it's just there yeah yeah that is nice also all the dilemmas are quite they're never that high stakes like it's like oh a new young woman has joined the club it's just so cute and adorable toby jones and mackenzie crook perform brilliantly and i can't remember the act the actress's name rachel something who plays andy's wife and she stars alongside toby jones in the new series capital so i feel like we should definitely watch that marks out of 10 overall 20 everyone go and watch it if you can find it somewhere yay detectorists loads of detectorists love uh, i love everything about this show please go and watch it definitely so for next week i'm going to recommend anna something that is just like detectorists 
It's not like Detroit. <laughs> um, the opposite end of the scale. Adventure Time. It's a cartoon, but you know, it's one of those cartoons that's yeah, for grown-ups. Yeah. I've seen like, pe- I knew people at uni who had like Adventure Time posters and yeah. stuff. My flatmate and I went through a phase last year where we were obsessed with it, where we watched it like every day. As a result, I have like an Adventure Time tote bag and various other oh, things that he cool. bought for me. Um, we've kind of stopped now, but it's one of those things where I'm not even going to try and describe it because otherwise we'd be here for an hour and we have to go and do his work now. Because... <laughs> If it even has a plot, it's really complicated. It's kind of mythological. A lot of the humour is to do with the voices and the rather than the actual dialogue. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think you just you're gonna have to give it a go and see what you think. Okay, I'll swap the lush, gentle green fields of Detectorist for the lurid fluorescence of Adventure Time. Exactly. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. We have a special request of our listeners. We are turning our thoughts to Christmas and we want to do a special episode all about Christmas television, how you watch it, what you enjoy and so on. So we would like to hear from you. All our contact details can be found on newstatesman.com forward slash SRSLY. Please get in touch. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.